Thank you for tuning in to Daybreak Church here in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We are here to share the story of God with people so that people can belong to the story of God. We are currently walking through a series called Morning, Noon, and Night, Walking in the Rhythms of Jesus. We are looking at how Jesus calls any who would follow after him his disciples, which isn't a simple title, but a direct implication to follow and do what Jesus himself did. In this series, we are looking at practices of the faith that help us draw close to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. This, in essence, is what it means to be a disciple. We hope you enjoyed this talk from Pastor Britt, Greg, and Dale on the way of grace in our life. We wanted to apologize for our audio as well. We are currently trying to work towards having clearer and cleaner audio for you, the listener. We hope you enjoy. series, a uh, couple months, um, called, what are we calling this? Morning, noon, and night. That's right. You gotta keep it up on the screen. Oh, help me recall it. Um, yeah, we are looking at really just the way of Jesus, the way in which Jesus lived, um, and more so not just because we think that Jesus lived it well, but he invites us to live like he lived, to walk like he walked, to walk in the way of Jesus. And the goal of this this series, if you will, um, is really help each of us, even if it's just taking one step closer to following in this way. We're going to be looking at several different practices that Jesus himself walked, that the early church uh, for the longest time uh, looked at and saw that the way that Jesus lived, the way that he talked, the way that he walked, the way in which he lived was meant to be a way to also help us live faithfully like he did, the invitation that he had as the way, the truth, and the life. So the goal of following him is to follow him in the way in which he himself lived. That's so the balance uh, is key. So listen to this church. The sermon in a sentence is really this for this morning. That the grace of God is then now and forever the place that we continue to come and draw our hope, life, and future. Let me say this again. The grace of God, as we're talking about this morning, walking in the grace of Jesus, the way that Jesus walked his life in grace. Uh, the grace of God is then, now, and forever, past, present, future, the place that we continue to come and draw our hope, life, and future. So this morning we're going to hear from Greg, Dale, and myself about the importance of grace, the way Jesus walked in grace, the way that Jesus talked in grace, the way that Jesus lived in grace. And grace is this gift that we're going to unpack a little bit more this morning. And it's important for us as we look, and you're going to hear this continual theme uh, that I'm just going to continue to say in repetition, because uh, repetition is what brings about formation. Uh, so this quote that we gave last week, and I'm going to continue to give it, there is no formation in me. If there is no repetition from me, there is no formation in me. I'm not being formed if there is no repetition from me. So I need to be doing something, I need to be repeating something. What we repeatedly do is who we repeatedly become. 
And so when we, when we think about that, that's not a far stretch. The things that we repeat constantly, whether it be words, phrases, thought patterns, eating habits, sleep habits, uh, football habits, like fill in the blank. The habits that we continually repeat shape and form us to who we are becoming. And the same is true in our own spiritual walk, which undoubtedly should be the most important walk that we pay attention to, how our soul is shaped, how our life is shaped in fashion, following after Jesus. And so we're looking at this series, we're talking specifically about the way in which we're formed to be more like Jesus. And he gives us the patterns. We're not having to come up with new things. We're not having to read some, some odd self-help books of mystical, mysterious things about Jesus. The Word of God clearly unpacks the way in which he lived and invites us to do likewise. Eugene Peterson, in the famous book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Repetition, beautiful book, I want to encourage you to read it. Uh, Peterson says this, The moment the word of God is uttered, the world's towering falsehood is exposed. We see the truth. The truth about me is that God made and loves me. The truth about those sitting beside me is that God made and loves them. And each one is therefore my neighbor. The truth about the world is that God rules and provides for it. The truth about what is wrong with the world is that I and the neighbor sitting beside me have sinned to refusing to let God be for us, over us, and in us. If you want to write some of those down. I think that's important for you if you're a note taker today. We're encouraging everybody to take notes. Um, this is huge right here. That This refusal to let God be for me, over me, and in me. The truth about what is at the center of our lives and of our history is that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins, raised from the tomb for our salvation, and that we can participate in new life as we believe in him, accept his mercy, respond to his love, and attend to his commands. So one of the things I want us to grow here at, at Daybreak is when we hear things that are resoundingly true and amazing to our soul, that we would resoundedly say, Amen. Amen. Uh, that right there is a beautifully condensed calling in our lives. I want to read for us again. Because I think sometimes we just kind of get caught up in a listening factor that we would actually participate in this. So I want to read this again. And as it resounds with your soul as one who is saved, being saved, called to be saved, that you might respond accordingly. The truth about what is at the center of our lives and of our history is that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins and raised from the tomb for our salvation and that we can participate in new life as we believe in him, accept his mercy, respond to his love and attend to his commands. A few of you like that. Okay, there we go. Bust that hallelujah. That's where it's at. So let me put it this way. The Christian is called to live a life under the gift that is called grace. Catch that. To live a life under the grace that God has given to you and I. The grace that he freely gives. This is a phrase that we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. Grace is freely given. It doesn't mean that it was cheap. It doesn't mean that it was costless. 
Because it costs God everything. It costs Jesus his life. And so we have free grace, but there's a costliness to it. What it costs God, what it costs Jesus, and in reality, what it truly costs us to give up our life in exchange for Jesus's. And this grace, this mercy, this life that is unfolded in this simple term of what God does bring to us in the life of Jesus, that Jesus walks out in grace, trust and love and mercy in everything that he does, he gives us this same gift. And we're called to live under the weight, the control, the truth, and the leading of this thing called grace. You know, Greg's going to unpack it a little bit with some systematic theology, so I don't want to tackle it real quick. Uh, But defining grace is important for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, fabulous book, The Cost of Discipleship. If you're into reading, I encourage you to pick that book up uh, and have your mind stretched. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life, Jesus And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this morning as we look, we look at both this costly effect of grace, but the fact that it still is grace is a beautiful invitation. And so I want to give us a reminder this morning as to what we're looking at through this specific series. And um, it's really simple that all of these formations, all of these practices are to help us do three things specifically. The first is to be with Jesus. That's the goal. We want to be with Jesus. Secondly, to become like Jesus. We want to become like him. That's the promise that Jesus gives to us. That as we follow him, we will do what he himself does that we would be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and lastly, we would do what Jesus does. Would you what we would do what Jesus did? So these three specific things, and if we're not careful, we get these things out of order. Sometimes the church, um, you may have grew up in this, where you're not really learning what it means to be in the presence of Jesus, but you sure are told to, to act like Him. And to look like him and respond like him. We would call it kind of moral behavior modification. Like, well, Jesus was a really good guy, so we want you to be like him. So we're going to try to shame you or guilt you into living and looking like him. And some of the times we, we can fall into that. But Jesus offers us grace. He offers us something so much more beautiful. And it ultimately, first and foremost, is his presence. He wants to be with us. And you might be going, really? He wants to be with me? Yes, even you. Even me. On my bad, my worst days, Jesus still chooses me. Like, lock that in. Write that down. On my worst day, Jesus would still go to the cross for me. Because he already did. Like, you can't outdo what he's already done for you. So, he longs to be with us, to be in his presence. Secondly, to become like him. That was his whole purpose and goal to show that this is the new way to be human. This is the better invitation to life to be formed to look like him. And not just look like him, but do what he did. And so these are the three things that we keep locked in as we walk through 
this series. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also says in the cost of discipleship, it is only because he became like us that we can become like him. This idea of the incarnation, Jesus making his home among us, showing us the way he has truly made a way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture for us before we get further. Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people For his own possession, eager to do good works. The grace that God has bestowed and puts on us in the life of Jesus is meant to draw something out of us, meant to call us to live in a certain way that brings about good works. We talked quite a bit about that this last weekend, that that God's grace and mercy compels us to live a life to bring glory to God and good to others. See, a grace that alters our standing without altering our state is not really grace. Let me say that again. A grace that alters our standing without altering our state is not really grace. So when we talk about grace with God, that would be an altering of our standing. That we were once condemned to hell without a Savior. Now we have a Savior. Now we're in right relationship with Him. But yet if that just alters our standing, not our state, the way in which we live our life day in and day out, we've not really inherited grace. We've inherited something pseudo. That grace calls upon us to not only be in right relationship with Him, but also living in such a way that brings about transformation in our life. Grace gives us the capacity to live as the way that Jesus has called us to. Grace is the gift from God that starts a work in us and sustains a work of real transformation of our heart. The work of God in us opens us up to be able to, in these moments in our life, to go, man, I I can grow to be more like Jesus today. Like every day. The hard thing I'm finding in my life is that I get tired of trying to always do good. It's like going to the gym. You know, there's those days where, well, I mean, I say this like I am taught from experience. You know, but there, there's these moments where I'm like, man, I just, I just don't want to. And that's been like forever. But I know that there's good. Like, I know that there's good in, in taking time and eating right and, and exercising and doing these things. But yet when I'm not seeing the results that I want, Or when I have a bad day, it does what? It breaks the habit. It breaks the intentionality of doing doing the thing that I know is actually good for me and will be good for others as well within relationship. But it just, there's the hard thing of always pressing after and pushing forward. Grace is this gift that I don't want to compare it to like a cheat day. 
But, but I want us to have this understanding that it is, it is the foundation of which that allows God to be in deep relationship with us. It is his gift to us that also becomes a gift to him because it continues to allow him to, to receive us because of what Jesus has done. The gift of grace towards us gives us permission and ability to have those bad days under his mercy. But it's constantly compelling us to draw closer to him. And so this morning, that as we look at this understanding of grace, that we would not simply look at it as this cheap, cheapened thing of, well, I, I chose Jesus, so he has to accept me now. Bad and all. I used to have this thought when I first became a Christian that um, my understanding of grace and what Jesus did in my life was that I found like a cheap hole, a cheap, a cheap way to kind of get around and get into heaven. Like, well, I chose Jesus, and so like I'm in. And so, like, God can't get me out now, so like, we'll just kind of, uh, I know the password. I know how to get in. And there wasn't any real regeneration or anything taking place in my heart that was transforming me until later in life where I began to realize the grace of God that was on my life compelling me to be more like his son, inviting me into surrendering more of my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this again in The Cost of Discipleship. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Jesus. We read earlier. It compels us to submit ourselves to him, follow him. It is grace because Jesus invites us to a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. This morning I want us to look at three specific places where grace is needed and shown. Um, we're going to look at grace with God. Not that we give grace to God, but that we receive it from Him. That we have grace with God, we have grace with our Heavenly Father. And because we have grace with our Father, we need to have grace with others. And so what does it look like for us to live a life of grace with others? And lastly, not only do we have grace with the Father, grace with others, we're called to grow in grace even for ourselves. And so I'm going to pray for us as Greg comes up and talks with us a little bit this morning about grace with God. Jesus, I thank you so much for the grace that is found in and through your life, in and through your death, in and through your burial, in and through your resurrection. The grace that continues to sustain us and comfort us and conflict us in moments when we realize that we're not living as we should. So Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for the life that you continue to give us and invite us into. I just pray that you continue to open our hearts and minds this morning as we press uh, to learn more about you and this beautiful gift that you have given us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, all right, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 3. Um, we're going to be in verses 20 through 24. And uh, the lead in on this, or the, the practice we're going to come to, is gratitude based on God's grace with us. So have that in mind as, as our end point uh, as we go through um, the grace with God, but the grace that we have with God. So um, Romans 3, 20 through 24. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by the grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, Dale, come on up. I don't think we need to add anything to that. Um, not seriously, though. We could stop right there. It's, it's verse 22 and 24 are pretty incredible. Um, but I'm too excited to stop. You know how excited I get when I'm up here. So, uh, but this really is everything. Um, where all life on purpose, for a purpose starts. Uh, if we are honest, we were or are currently dead without Jesus. We're all deserving of the punishment um, and being removed from the garden for not trusting in God's design. I know that verse 23, uh, if you spend any time in church, is probably one that you've heard many, many times, and it probably stands out um, more than any. Right, That for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for good reason, too, all of us have taken a bite of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil when um, we know that, that that tree leads to death. Uh, Paul has spent the first two chapters of Romans reminding us that the failure, uh, the broken spirit, spiritual condition of man is the problem, and it certainly is. Um, in a lot of church culture uh, nowadays, it seems like this is a place where we get left, where we're constantly um, staring at the idols in front of us and, and constantly self-bashing uh, the sin that we have and, and the forbidden tree that we eat. <laughs> And it's always before us. And I know I get stuck in that place too. Um, and I'm praying that through this series and through the practices um, we're going to learn about and hear about, that we start to live differently um, because of the truth of grace that lies here in God's Word. Uh, the truth that in Christ we are new and that there's no condemnation. The truth that chains of sin have been broken. And in this passage we see a monumental shift in the story. Uh, we now see hope enter the equation a means to righteousness that is not possible before. Uh, it is in God's grace with us where life begins. Uh, in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, it says, uh, I just think that's funny to hear me say something about a book of systematic theology. I never thought I would ever read a book, let alone own one, that says systematic theology on it. But um, in God's grace with me, uh, being able to, to have things like that, read things like that, um, I can give a hearty amen and thanks to, to, to be able to have that. So God's grace, uh, it says this about grace uh, in the Systematic Theology book. God's grace means God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Uh, we definitely deserve uh, the punishment based on verse 23. Um, but we got to really focus in on these sandwich verses of verse 23. 22 and 24 uh, is where God really starts to drive his goodness towards us and his redemption plan. Uh, where God's grace with us to restore a right relationship becomes real. On verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Now, there's only one way, and that is through faith. And they are justified, verse 24, they are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And as Britt uh, mentioned a lot, we're going to focus on that word freely. Because um, the gift is freely given. Uh, but that gift of redemption was certainly not free. It is a certain, it's definitely not cheap. Again, let me say that again. The gift of redemption is free, but it is certainly 
not cheap. A good gift comes with thought and care about the person receiving the gift. And God's amazing plan um, was very thought out. And that plan was very costly to him. And we know that um, by what Jesus did for us in his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to repeat that uh, quote from Bonhoeffer. I just think this uh, just really says it really, really well. A costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, brothers and sisters, there is a cost to following Jesus. There is weight to live under grace, the weight of God's control, the weight of truth. But Jesus promises that that weight is light, and it's certainly light compared to the weight of living for self and possibly living a life in eternity spent in separation from our Creator and King. Um, his burden is light. Um, the formation piece uh, that comes out of this is our response to that gift um, and how we live um, and knowing the truth that, that in faith in Jesus and in, by the grace that what God gives, we can live. And so what does that life live in response to this incredible gift look like? Uh, you'll find that being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus more and more, your response will be gratitude. Uh, thankfulness in any and every situation. Uh, this is not possible without nearness to Jesus. Uh, if you could flip over a couple chapters uh, to Romans 5. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Um, this is really going to shape our gratitude um, and our attitudes, our attitude of gratitude. So therefore, in verse, uh, chapter 5, uh, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we have been justified by faith. We have peace. We have obtained access to God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have Jesus. So when we're spending heart and mind moments on these truths, um, it becomes harder and harder to be ungrateful. I know gratitude seems like something that is hard to practice, and it can be. But the more time we spend with Jesus, um, gratitude is a spiritual discipline that, that needs to be practiced, needs to be um, dug deep around. And when you do, like I said, it gets harder and harder to be ungrateful. So I'm going to give us some um, questions to ask ourselves and some practical ways uh, to think about living with gratitude. Uh, when you hear these questions, please uh, don't feel alone or singled out. Uh, the devil longs for you to feel alone. Uh, but know that everyone in this room struggles and is in chains to something that only grace can win. So um, these questions come from a book, a book that Britt's been using and that we've looked at a little bit um, to shape this series in some direction called Spiritual Discipline, Disciplines Handbook. Um, I have three questions um, that we can be asking ourselves and in these times. Um, some of them are tough questions to ask, but I think are great to, to drive the practice of gratitude. So uh, the first question is, when you feel at the bottom of the food chain and dead last in terms of priority, how do you move towards gratitude? So when you feel at the bottom of the food chain and dead last in terms of priority, how do you move towards gratitude? Uh, second question is, how has a grateful person affected your own vision of what matters in life? 
And how has someone who lives out of bitterness affected your life? And that's how has a grateful person affected your own vision of what matters in life? And how has someone who lives out of bitterness affected your life? And uh, the last question I'm going to have um, just for us to be questioning and asking is how are you addicted to criticism, analysis, and negativity? And how might thankfulness be an antidote to a critical spirit? Um, so just some good questions to be asking ourselves in the, in the formation of responding to God's grace with us um, in the pursuit of presence and formation and mission in our life. Um, finally, I wanted to just touch on a few practical ways um, to practice gratitude for the grace we've been given. Uh, the first one, number one, would be to start using uh, those amazingly beautiful journals we've all been given. Now to start writing down things we're grateful for, keeping a record um, for where and when you see God showing up and, and being thankful for it and writing that down. And then to finish each day uh, by saying thank you to God for at least one thing. And get specific with God about uh, what that one thing went for what that one thing meant for you. Um, for example, uh, just thank God for your spouse and just thank him for giving you a partner um, to have a real life to go in, to have real good life conversations and to dig deeper with. Uh, this last one's a tough practice, but I think is it can, can be and definitely will be extremely helpful. Um, but it's to really push you to start seeing ways to be thankful in the midst um, of when it seems impossible to be thankful. Like think of a current hardship and be honest with God about how you're feeling about that hardship. And then ask yourself, where is there evidence of God in that hardship? And if you can't find God in that hardship, spend some time with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where Jesus is praying in a place of far greater hardship than any of us will ever find ourselves. Um, he doesn't hold back with God, um, but he gives. He is grateful for God in this. He says, "Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." Again, take this cup away. It's okay to pray in those hardships. Like, and more than okay, God, please take this away. This is too much for me. But if you're not going to remove it, your will be done. And show yourself um, to where I can be thankful for. Uh, so those are our practices. And Dale, going to come up. I'll, I'll let's pray again. Let's pray for Dale. And uh, just the spirit of grace to keep moving this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to to hear from you, um, to hear from different voices in our body of, of experience of grace and how, how that can be practiced. I uh, just pray that your spirit would be on Dale now and that, that his heart would be in tune with yours and that we would hear from you uh, through his words and practicing grace with others. Amen. All right, so it's a little different speaking 360 view. Um, so, I just want the people to my back to know that this morning I did iron my shirt to make sure that it looked really good for you, because that's all you'll see. So, this morning I get to talk about grace towards others and how we can live that out. Um, we were given a beautiful example um, of how grace was shown to us by God, and so then we want to look at what are our interactions like how do we talk to people? How are our facial expressions um, towards them when they do something? So 
like I said, we were given that example, but we're human, right? So we let our humanness take over, our sin take over, and we just don't act it out the best way. I also have a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, So, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. So let that sink in a little. Our actions, our words, affect those people around us. The words that we choose or the facial expressions uh, that we make rob the recipients of the grace of God that God wants us to show. We have got to do better. I've got to do better. As I was going through this, I realized a lot of things that I can be doing better at um, just by showing grace to others um, around me. How are we showing the love of Jesus if our first reaction is one of frustration or annoyance, right? In Colossians 4, 6, Paul tells us, let, our speech, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each question, or each person. So Paul was encouraging the Colossians to give a powerful message to non-believers. This should still hold true today. Uh, and we should be giving a powerful message to non-believers and believers the same. I work in a call center of about 150 agents um, for a, a large company in Illinois. Um, we have an attendance policy that isn't so graceful, but kind of when you're in the corporate world, they don't show much grace. Um, so how it works is if you call in one time, two times, three times, you go to a tier one, and then there's four tiers that you can have so that we know the different conversations to have with people, right? When I think about my view of grace, sometimes we put it in a tier system. How we treat our family, how we treat our coworkers, our friends, strangers, we, all, we can treat them all differently in showing grace to them. So while we do show it differently, the question that we have is, should we? If we are supposed to be imitators of Christ, we should be treating all those tears of grace the same way. Showing grace to everyone that crosses our paths equally. So your spouse left wet clothes in the washer, dried them a few days later, and then you have to wear them. It's never happened in our house. There's grace for that. Your nine-year-old filled up the dishwasher with exactly five dishes on top, six dishes on the bottom rack, and a smattering of silverware. There's grace for that. Instead of getting annoyed, raising your voice, you have an opportunity to teach. How can this be done better? Even in the little things that make the house move forward, there's grace for that. You come to church. You sit in the same seat. I know that we've changed everything around here. 
So maybe you don't have a set seat, but somebody's in your seat. There's grace for that. All right. Just remember that. It also gives you an opportunity to meet somebody new. If we go through our interactions daily and keep in mind the phrase, there's grace for that, it should change our interactions for the better. I hope you're getting the picture that uh, grace means that you're putting yourself aside and helping the other person. I'm not insinuating that giving grace means we are giving people a free pass. With grace, sometimes, oftentimes, comes correction. As we said earlier, the way that we react will determine how that person views us. How you are correcting someone, if it's in grace, it's in love. Without grace, it's probably in anger, frustration, annoyance. When we give grace, the same grace that God showed us, we don't have to keep a record of the wrong things done towards us. This is a much more freeing life for us to live and opens us up to spreading the love of God. We want to build the kingdom of God and showing the same grace to others that we have been shown is one way that we can do that. I want to talk about humility as a practice. Okay, so Britt mentioned going to the gym, practicing. Um, I know people that are in sports, they have to practice a lot. Humility is something that we should also be practicing. In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. Part of being Christ-like is to live in humility. And how can we be gracious towards others without being humble? For some of us, humility can be tough. Right? We are all experts in something. Whether it's a mechanic, in construction, IT, teaching, customer service, driving, parking. Right? We all know those that aren't experts in parking. Being humble, even when we are the experts, is not the first thing to come to our mind. However, by being humble, our lives can bear so much more godly fruit. We will, as a godly fruit, see Jesus increase in us and ourselves decrease. You may also find that you are living an authentically grateful life and you are liberated from the need of others' approval. So many times, this last one, needing other people's approval, can make our lives so difficult. However, living in humility, being gracious, we don't have to worry about what others think of us. We are living for God and God alone, and trying to help others see the same love and mercy and grace that we receive from Him. When I died, we went to a funeral um, and they talked about all the accolades of the great things that this person had done at work. And 
I just sat there and thought, when I die, I want to be known for how did I further the kingdom of God? How many people were able to see Christ's love because of my actions? So, I want to challenge you. As soon as you walk out this door, start practicing humility. Do something for someone without taking credit for it. Write down, you can call it a resume, a character resume. Not your expertise, but your character. Is that going towards humility? And then, in the end, be gracious in all of your interactions to bring glory to God and to further his kingdom. Give the order of applause. I want to thank both Greg and Dale. Uh, yeah, each each one of those specific messages were really a message, even within of themselves, that we need to grow in understanding the grace that we have with God, grace that we're called to have with one another, um, and even this piece, the grace to have with ourselves. And I don't want to sound all. New agey and, and self-help here. Uh, but there is a legitimate amount and a great need for us to grow with grace to ourselves. We are bombarded by a world that gives cheap grace. Constantly. Um, and so that we need to grow with this true grace that we are able to give and speak over ourselves. To have and grow in grace with self is to simply see and reflect the real grace God has given us and is giving to us through the life of of Jesus, So kind of going a little bit later deep with what Greg was talking about, the grace that we have with God, uh, that we would really get to see that and speak that over ourselves. I don't know about you, but I live a life where my wife doesn't always wash the laundry when it's supposed to be, and I have to rewash, or she has to rewash. Um, uh, people park poorly, or a guy doesn't use his brakes properly and peels out in front of us as we're driving to church, it almost rear-ends us. Uh, then do a donut in the, bum, like in the street in front of us. And neither Stacey and I are both being good Christians at this moment. The commentary out around, what is this telling guy they want? We find ourselves in these moments that call for myself like, oh yeah, there's grace for that. There's grace for even me in the midst of that. And um, what, what I hope for us this morning um, I just want to give us a little bit of scripture. Um, I'm going to kind of cut back down a little bit to um, mainly the practice that I want us to think about with grace for ourselves. It comes from the practice of memorization. Um, and this one is way more academic um, than the taught having you know, humility or having gratitude. Those are definitely helpful practices, but the practice of memorization definitely involves a little more muscle memory, a little more intentionality there. For some of us, we're like, I hate memorization. That's not my thing. Uh, you're in good company. It's not mine either. I struggle at it horribly. Um, and so what I want us to do is when we think about memorization, this practice of memorization, it, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Some of you in here I know are amazing at it. One of my professors in school would always blow my mind. I'd walk in, have a question about something, and he would have this whole, like, these four different bookshelves. And without missing a beat, he'd be like, fourth shelf, 
fifth book over, blue cover, page 473, third paragraph down, and then you start reciting it. And I'm like, what are you, a machine? What is this? And you do it multiple times. I'm like, how, how do you do this? And he's like, I just, and I have a disease. And it allows me to just, I just remember it. Memory, I have a memory that just recalls all of these things. I'm like, that's insane. That's incredibly amazing. Um, and there's me, where I'm like, like, well, in Psalms it says this somewhere. In Romans it may say this. Um, we all have these different levels of how we memorize things. But the key is, memorization is something that is biblically commanded of us. Uh, we see time and time again the Israelites remember this, remember God, remember these moments. Jesus, the calling of remember this thing that I'm doing for you. Paul constantly driving. Um, and Peter, remember these things. 2 Peter 1, uh, 13 through 15. I think it is right as long as I am in this bodily tent. That's a fancy poetic way of saying alive. Uh, as long as I'm alive to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent. Again, he's being super poetic. He's going to die. Uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. It is important for us to lock in Scripture. Important for us to be able to recall and reclaim these things for ourselves. So to memorize Scripture, first uh, or Psalms one nineteen one eleven says, "How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart, so that I may not sin." Against you. So, memorization of Scripture begins with us first and foremost having a desire and a longing to treasure the Word of God. That we want to treasure. We, we put things close to our, to our hearts. We remember the things that are important to us, right? Now, some of us are better at that because we hold some things way truer than, way things way more important. An um, example this weekend, I had invited uh, Peter on a little, little conference get away and like within a matter of seconds he's like I can't do that date I'm like why well it's my wife's birthday and I'm like oh you newlywed so sweet <laughs> but he remembered he locked in something massively important like yeah this is important to me like it doesn't matter what comes everything that is based off of that date that thing that is important memorization we're calling treasuring certain things is equally powerful and important. It helps us lock in to know what is needed, what is important. So, um, just as a point of reference, a mind that is so overwhelmed with information that nothing is known by heart can leave the soul at the mercy of the last mental image that took our fancy. Let me say that again. A mind that is so overwhelmed with information that nothing is truly known by the heart can leave the soul at the mercy of the last mental image that took our fancy. How distracted we can, can become with things not locking ourselves in. And memorization allows us to choose the words and images that shape our minds and heart. So here's some things with memorizing. Memorizing scripture, hymns, poems, quotes, Here's where I find myself, I'll give a little TMI, uh, had some stomach issues this week, was super sick, um, and I found myself as, like, as I'm sick, like, as soon as I'm done being sick, I started singing way better. 
And I'm like, I don't know why. Like, this, it just stuck in my head. And I'm like, why am I like hurling into a bucket? And then, Waymaker, miracle worker. God, you're a promise keeper. Don't kill me. I don't want to die, God. I just, like, Jesus, help me. Like, help me. Stacey's in the back. like, are you singing? I am. She's like, you feel better? No, not at all. Not at all. But I'm getting to the end of myself. And what, there's something that I've treasured that I've locked locked in. And I find myself in these moments, things that, that, that give my heart a reminder, that recall me to better things. And so memorizing scripture, hymns, poems, quotes, that we lock these things in. And memorization is about repetition, finding abilities and ways of doing that. It could be handwriting something over and over again. Um, it could be, I encourage folks to do this. Lock in on a piece of scripture for three or four days. Read it three or four times during the day. Wake up, read the scripture, focus on the scripture. At lunchtime, read the scripture, repeat it a few times. Before you go to bed, repeat the scripture. And then slowly begin to find yourself repeating these scriptures over your life. Rereading portions of scripture until they are committed to memory. Um, memorizing scripture that clearly reveals God, God's plans of salvation that encourage you to stand firm in your faith. Like locking in on certain scriptures that bring hope and encouragement and strength to your life. There is given fruit from this practice. And we keep company with Jesus by hiding his word in our hearts. It also helps us develop a habit of remembering that anchors your life to biblical truth. So when we talk about this, there's simple, practical ways of memorization. John 10.10 has been one that you guys hear me repeat all the time. I never get this one wrong. For I have come to be a life and life to its most... See? The see? So we all know because I say it all the time. It is a, it, that, that verse challenged me because it makes me ask questions. Is my life full of Jesus? Like, am, am I living a fullness that's found only in Him? And so there's those scriptures that we can lock in. We've had Romans 3.23 driven into our heads forever. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. Like, that we would lock in some of these scriptures, some of these practices that speak this truth over us. Worship songs are a beautiful gift. Um, one that's been all that's just been driven in my head. I say driven, like I enjoy this song. Be thou my vision. It's a beautiful declaration, a beautiful invitation, a prayer of that I, I want to see God. Be thou my vision, O Lord of all. I, I want to see you and only you in everything that I do. The important thing is, is that you lock in on things that help you grow closer to Him, that help you anchor in Him. It's not finding verses. Well, Pastor Britt really loves John ten ten. So I'm going to memorize that. Pastor Britt really loves this verse. No, what is the verse? What are the verses that encourage and strengthen you? Among all of these gifts of gratitude, humility, memorizing, there's one gift that Jesus specifically gives to the body of Christ as a continual reminder and focal point of the grace that has been given. That is the gift of communion. When Jesus sat with his disciples, he makes this declaration to them that you will practice this. You will do this. And as you do, you will know what I have done for you. 
in the, in the dying, to my, dying of myself, the, having sin put upon me for the forgiveness of all people. When you take this bread, it's my body broken for you. When you drink this wine, it's my blood poured out for you. When you take these things as a reminder for all that I have done for you, you will know the grace that God has for you. You will be reminded of what he has done through the life of Jesus, what he is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit, what he is completing through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So as we take the bread, as we take the wine, as we take communion together, we are, should be constantly, continually reminded of this gift that God has given us, the reminder of his grace. I want to invite our worship team to come up and our communion assistance. This morning as we take communion, I want to invite you to, to think a little differently as we take communion, as we participate in this, this act of grace with one another. That Jesus has given his life perfectly, completely, freely, even though it was costly to him, for you and I, for all that would say yes to him. That when we take the bread, when we take the wine, we are reminding and saying, Jesus, I am taking this grace under my life. That I'm trusting you yet again, more and more, every day, with more grace, more mercy that you freely give through the life of Jesus. An act of worship saying, thank you, God, for everything that you have done and will continue to do will forever be on, on my tongue to praise you for all that you've done. And so when we take communion, I want to challenge you as you take it to ask the Father, where am I in need of grace today? Where am I in need of grace today? Where am I in need of showing grace to someone else today? And maybe most importantly, that you would ask Jesus to help you see clearly how much grace He's given to you. That he would open your eyes to see how much he loves you. For the longest time, I struggled with understanding God's grace and God's love for me. And it wasn't until one of my mentors made this really simple statement. That there is nothing I can do that will gain any more of God's love. And there's nothing I can do that will make him love me any less. That my eyes opened up to the beauty of how God simply sees me completely and fully through the life of Jesus. There's nothing I can do that's going to make him go, Britt, I'm more proud of you today than I was then. There's nothing I can do that's going to make him say, Britt, I'm disappointed in you. Because it's not about my life, it's the life of Jesus. And that is the grace that we live under. The weight and the control and the life that we find our life is under the life of Jesus. And so as you take communion this morning, may you find rest in that and life in that knowing.